Is it happy so far? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what kinds of struggles. I don't know what kinds of challenges. Um, I don't know what kinds of answers to prayer and blessings, but I know that God has an intention and a divine purpose for you and me in being here this Sabbath. Um, you know, we've been going through a particular series, Discipleship 101. We've kind of set up a, a little bit of a classroom environment. We've even had handouts for you the last few weeks. Uh, this week, we're, we're switching it up a little bit, and so there's no handout. So if you have uh, just a personal way of taking notes, you're welcome to do that. You can find uh, just the margins in your bulletin if you want to take notes for that, too. But Discipleship 101, in this series, uh, this is the part four of a five-part series. We're actually going to bleed into March with this one. Discipleship 101, we've been asking ourselves, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it really look like? We've been asking ourselves, what did, what did Jesus do that we can do, and what did Jesus teach that we can live? And so far in part one and two, we've found that Jesus practiced the discipline of the wilderness. That is, he withdrew off into the wilderness he practiced the discipline of the Word. That is, he immersed himself in the Word. The, the Word was a priority for him. He lived by the very Word of God. Last week, we talked about a certain attitude, a state of heart. And we talked about that disciples know the blessing of having nothing. You remember that? We started looking at the Beatitudes and how Jesus turns the value system of the world completely upside down. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Some of you may not have been here for, for those previous messages, and that's okay. You can listen to those messages online if you'd like to catch up. Uh, parkwood.adventistfaith.org parkwood.adventistfaith.org You can listen to those sermons online if you want to catch up with that, and if you want to see those handouts, they're right there. But this Sabbath, part four, Discipleship 101, Righteousness in Relationships. Righteousness in Relationships. See, the reality is that when we're following Jesus, it's not just about my connection with God, it's also about my connection with other people. And so that's what we're going to study today, righteousness in relationships. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to gather around the Bible today. Lord, I don't know what kind of uh, exposure we've had to your word this week, but Lord, right now we long for face-to-face -face communion with you. As we open up the pages of scripture, God, help us to realize the sacred privilege we have to open the living and active Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth today. May it not be what I said, but what we read and heard from the mouth of God today. Please send your Spirit to transform our lives and to transform our relationships. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen. You've got a Bible, hopefully. Go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 5, the scripture that was read for our reading. Matthew chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 7 today. Matthew chapter 5, this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been giving blessings. You remember? These are commonly known as the Beatitudes. And we talked about this last week, but the way Matthew records this sermon of Jesus, he's really setting things up 
to uh, almost be like an inaugural speech as Jesus is sitting on a mountainside. He's got his, his disciples that are, that are following him now. Uh, it, it's almost as if he's really establishing the principles of his kingdom. You remember? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus started preaching the message of the kingdom. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And it's almost, just as you keep reading through chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, it's as if there's a groundswell, a momentum moving towards, oh, where is this kingdom? And people want to know what it's all about. And Jesus starts giving the Sermon on the Mount, establishing what it's like to possess the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you, you take a look at the, the, the first beatitude. We read this last week. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if that's, one, if, if that's the beginning of the beatitudes, look at the very last beatitude in verse 10. Look at the very last beatitude. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Excuse me, for righteousness', righteousness sake. Excuse me. <laughs> for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven. Did anybody catch the repetition there? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven in the first. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven in the last. These are bookends that are repeating themselves. In fact, this is a literary device, if you want the technical word for it, just so you can impress your friends with it. The, the word is inclusio. It's an inclusio. In other words, uh, Matthew is portraying, he's, he's giving us a frame. If he was painting a picture, He's saying that this is one side of the frame and this is the other side of the frame so that everything in between has to do with possessing the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah? Now watch this. Go to verse 6 and you'll find that there's an inclusio within the inclusio. Whoa. All right, verse 6, it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We read that last week. Now again, look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so here's another frame that matthew is painting it's a frame of righteousness which means that everything in between verses 7 through 10 has to do with righteousness do you see that yes or no yeah he's giving us a frame a frame to look at oh, okay so everything here, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. It has to do with expressions of righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. When I say righteousness, what meaning comes to mind? What, what synonym, what other words or phrases come to mind? You can respond at this point. What, what comes to mind when I say righteousness? Right living. Right living. Someone else said? Did you say vegans? Obedience, okay, okay, obedience, sure. Yeah, vegans too, maybe, okay. Yeah, obedience, right living, anything else? Love, okay, good, good, good. Pure in heart, okay. Now, now here's the thing. When we, ought, when we try to define what righteousness is, when we try to, to break it down for a five-year-old, we often talk about, yeah, obedience, right living, conduct, living up to a certain standard of of, of behavior. And while that is part of the picture, I would suggest to you that that's not the complete picture that the Bible portrays of righteousness. Because the primary aspect of righteousness is not so much doing as it is being. Let's think about this. The primary 
element of righteousness is not so much right doing as it is in being in right relationship with God. Oh. So if there are demands, if there are behavioral expectations, it's not behavior for behavior's sake, it's behavior for the sake of maintaining a right relationship. Whether that's relationship with God or relationship with other people. And so here, as we're talking about righteousness, we're going to look at righteousness in relationships. We realize that, okay, righteousness is a relational thing. Righteousness is a relational thing. Now, we've already kind of hit on it. What kinds of relationships are we talking about? We're talking about a vertical and a horizontal relationship. All right, there's two directions in righteousness. There's two directions in relationships. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments, when you look at the Ten Commandments, these two directions are right there. The first four have to do with your vertical relationship with God, how to love Him supremely, right? And then the last six have to do with which direction? The horizontal relationship of how to love one another, how to be in right relationship with each other. And what's interesting is that in the Beatitudes, you can actually divide the Beatitudes in half and look at the first four, which we read last week. They have to do with your connection with God. Realizing that you have nothing before God. You're poor in spirit. You mourn over sin. You're meek because you're receiving from God. You're not grasping. And you're hungering and thirsting for His righteousness. And then the last four, which we'll look at more closely today, have to do with how you relate to other people. Do you catch the two directions? Yes or no? Yeah? Yeah. And so here we are, we're looking at righteousness in relationships. As we study these uh, from verses 7 through 10, what we're going to see is that there are three expressions of righteousness and one twist at the end. So three expressions and one expectation that you wouldn't actually imagine. All right. So we're going to dig into it. Starting in verse 7, Jesus continues his, his blessings and he says, Blessed are the merciful... For they shall obtain mercy. I'm reading from the New King James. Maybe yours says, For they shall be shown mercy. The concept is this. Blessed are the merciful. Do you know what it means to be merciful? Do you know what it means to ask God for mercy? It's the meaning of the word itself. It has to do with pity and compassion. Actually, if you want it to be more specific, it's, it's having compassion for those who are in need. You see, this is a very, very deep word in the Bible. It has uh, roots in the Old Testament of this, the Hebrew word is chesed. Again, if you want to get some spittle in your throat and start sprinkling the people around you, it's chesed. Chesed is, it's, it's, it's covenant love. It's faithfulness that is steadfast. And it's steadfast, not because someone deserves that love, but because they're family. It's not because that they've, they've earned it, but because you're connected to them and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> and so when God says, hey, I will show chesed upon you, it's not because we deserve it. It's because he sees us as family, as bound to the hip somehow. God sees a family relationship and that's his covenant steadfast love for you and I. And so when Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, it has that background in mind. Whoa, blessed are the merciful. In fact, the only other time this adjective is used in Scripture, do you want to see where it is? 
It's in Hebrews chapter 2. So keep a bookmark here in Matthew 5. Keep a finger, a pinky, whatever it is. And go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. If you're still looking for it, it's after, it's after the T zone in the New Testament, if you remember that. You're coming to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right, all right. Hebrews 2, verse 17. This is what the Bible says. Therefore, in all things, he, speaking of Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now notice this. The only other person who is described as merciful in Scripture is Jesus. And notice what makes him merciful. In verse 17 it says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. In other words, he recognized a family connection. We were his brothers and sisters. And he was made like us in weakness so he could sympathize with our weaknesses. So watch this. To demonstrate Christ-like mercy then requires two things. One, a recognition that he or she is my brother or sister. And two, a recognition that I share the same weaknesses that he or she does. So let me ask yourself. Let, 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 let's take a little survey of how, how merciful we have or haven't been. <laughs> When you think about the times when you haven't been necessarily merciful to someone around you, could it be because we've ignored the fact that he is my brother or she is my sister? Or could it be because, could it be that we've actually forgotten that I am in as much need as he is? Wow. So to really be merciful is to recognize that, wait, we're, we're in the same boat. We're part of the same family here. That one, you know, that, that he or she is family. And somehow, the moment we forget that is the moment we cease to be merciful. And you think to yourself, man, man, to be merciful like that, man, you're, you're constantly giving, you're constantly emptying out your pockets for people, you're constantly doing, you're constantly extending yourself. And that can be a hard life. That can be very difficult. Maybe you've been in those stretches before where you feel like, hey, I'm trying to be merciful, I'm trying to help those in need, but I have nothing more to give right now. Did you hear the rest of what Jesus said in Matthew 5? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Yeah. There's a powerful promise in Proverbs 11. It says, he who waters himself will also be watered. In other words, when you give, God will give to you. And so maybe you don't feel like you have much more to give anymore. Maybe you feel like your compassion cup is down to empty. <laughs> and you have no mercy for people anymore. But God wants to promise you that as you show mercy, he'll give you mercy too. Amen. Blessed are the merciful. That's the first expression of what it is to be righteous in your relationships. What's the second one? Verse 8, we're in Matthew chapter 5 again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the Pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow, purity. 
being undefiled, spotless, blameless, guiltless, innocent. When you think about purity, there's, there's just a depth there that is, uh, it, it, it's a cleanness that many of us, uh, many of us have, have forgotten what that is. But God calls for it. And some may ask, well, pure in heart, yeah, well, that's where purity really counts, right? <laughs> because some of us may be pure in hand, some may be pure in mouth, but in reality, the wellsprings of the life are polluted. But God calls for purity in heart. Now some, you know, when I, when I was studying this this week, I asked myself the question, what does this have to do exactly with relationships? Because I can see how pure in heart has to do with my connection with God, but what does my being pure in heart have to do with how I connect or no, don't connect with other people? And the reality is this. The ways in which we allow our minds to run, the things in which we allow our hearts to dwell in, actually impact the way we view others and the way we interact with others. So let's think about this. If, if we let our guard down and allow our hearts and minds to dwell on things that are trashy, guess what our relationships with people are going to be like? We're going to view them in a trashy way. We're going to interact with them in a non-respectful way. If we allow our hearts and minds to, to dwell on things that are depressing or self-indulgent or angry or lustful, the ways we'll see people, the ways we'll interact with other people will be characterized by the very same. But what about the converse? What if we allow our minds to dwell on things that are uplifting? and encouraging, and noble, and dignified, and godly, guess what will happen to the quality of our relationships with people? So sometimes we, you know, we, we ask ourselves, man, oh, my relationships are pretty rough and rocky right now. Well, what is our heart dwelling on lately? It's kind of a self-diagnostic question. What, what has our heart been dwelling on lately? You know, a friend of mine uh, from way back in high school, he, he shared, you know, he shared that when he was younger, he realized that if he stared at the sun, if he stared at the sun long enough, <laughs> which I don't recommend, by the way, but if he stared at the sun long enough, and then he started looking around in his classroom or wherever he was, all he would see is a sun. You know, I, I mean, maybe there's some retinal damage or something that's going on in the eye, but but the reality is, if you stare at the sun long enough, it's just going to affect the way you see other people. Now, connecting back to what Val was sharing in her testimony, if you stare at the sun, S-O-N, long enough, guess what you'll start seeing in other people? Jesus himself. Is it any wonder that the blessing says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. So when the, when the heart springs, the wellsprings of our life are, are kept and guarded and pure, guess what? The quality of our relationships, we're actually going to start to see God in our relationships. We're actually going to start to see the good in our relationships. Righteousness in relationships, it requires being merciful. It's also expressed in purity of interaction. So for the true disciple, that's what our relationships are going to be characterized by. It's beautiful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. How about verse 9? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, the third expression of righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. P 
peacemakers. Do you know what peace is? Biblical peace. I mean, when I think of peace, I think of a, a quiet stream. Uh, I think of just, oh, I think of this, actually. Yeah, just, just right out here, just this serene picture of tranquility, stillness, being at rest. But when you think, uh, when you look through Scripture, biblical peace has more, it's more than just a feeling of calmness. It's actually a state of wholeness. You know, peace in Scripture is, is a relational thing. It's being, it's where everything is in its place. It's where you have wholeness in your relationships. There's nothing broken. Everything's harmonious. Do you understand that? Yes or no? Yeah? Peace is something that is not just a feeling. It's a quality of relationship that requires wholeness, being put together. And so, blessed are the peacemakers. That means these peacemakers are building bridges. They're making sure that there's nothing broken between people. They're, they're looking at they're looking at people with new eyes. They're saying, look, I'm not in this relationship to get something out of it. I'm in this relationship to build someone's heart, to start building bridges in their heart, in their lives. Now, this idea, this, this word of peacemaker, is, this is the only time it shows up in Scripture. Peacemaker. This is the only time it shows up in Scripture. There's a verb that's kind of taken from it, and it's only used one other time as well. It's in Colossians chapter 1. Let's go there. So keep again a bookmark in Matthew 5. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Then you've got your Romans and Corinthians. And then you've got your G-E-P-C, right? Go eat popcorn. Nice. So we're going to Colossians, the last of that phrase. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And wouldn't you know it, guess who it's talking about? Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. When you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, And by him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having, what are the next two words? Made peace. Excuse me. Had made peace through the blood of his cross. The only other time that this concept of peacemaking ever shows up in Scripture, it's right here, and it's Jesus Christ himself. He is the great peacemaker. And all he did, in the, in the price that he paid, as he shed his blood on Calvary, the whole point was to build a bridge between heaven and earth. Whoa! And how costly was that project? He did everything it took to reconcile all things to God. Reconcile, that, that, that's, that's a relational term. It's, it's, that, it's what's required when you've got two enemies that are antagonistic and hostile and just don't want any part of each other. But Jesus says, look, I'm building a bridge. And so those who are peacemakers are chips off the old block. That's why they shall be called sons of God. It's beautiful. We're taking after the very path that Jesus walked. We're we're not in relationships to get something out of it, to see how we can uh, posture ourselves or obtain status. We're in relationships so that we can build bridges between heaven and earth. 
Wow. There's a mission there. So blessed are the merciful who show compassion because there's a family tie. Blessed are the pure in heart who are, who are interacting with people uh, not out of selfish motive, but of the most true and noble motives. Blessed are the peacemakers who are building bridges, not burning them. And then, the twist. <laughs> Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is kind of a, a paradoxical end. You, you wouldn't expect this. But the reality is that not everyone is going to accept the peace that we seek to build. Not everyone is going to appreciate your demonstrations of mercy upon him or her because they would rather ignore him or her. Not everyone is going to appreciate the purity, the simplicity of your motives because they'd rather pursue hidden motives. And when that's the case, we're going to run counterculturally. When we seek righteousness in relationships, we won't always win the applause of men. But God promises that even if you don't possess the favor of men, you do possess the kingdom of heaven. So you, we may be persecuted in our pursuit of righteous relationships. We may run against walls. We may, not necessarily, uh, we, we may not necessarily keep the kind of company that everybody else would like to rub shoulders with. But we're doing it because we're seeking righteousness in relationships. We're seeking to build bridges. We're seeking to be pure. We're seeking to show compassion on those who are our brothers and sisters. His need is my need. I can't just ignore it anymore. Whoa. This is powerful stuff. When you think about it, this is radical. I mean, disciples of Christ, those are the kinds of relationships that they keep, and they'll do it at any cost, even if people reject them for it. Wow. And this is what it is to be righteous in our relationships. Now we come to this, the, the end of this list, and we're asking ourselves, boy, if, I mean, this is a really convicting passage for me to study this week, you know? Because I realize that it's, it's very much my tendency to not be merciful. <laughs> it's very much my tendency maybe to be merciful to only a select few. And if it's someone I, I just happen to, to see on the way to the grocery store that's sitting out there, and you know, they sure need mercy, but I'd rather not give it. Uh, does anybody else resonate with just, just that's the natural heart, that's the the very reality of who we are, we would rather, it's easier to not be merciful. It's easier to not be pure in heart. It's easier to relate in, with people in such a way that you don't have to expend the energy to build bridges of peace. But God calls us for righteousness in our relationships, not just in our relationship with him, but in our relationship with other people. You see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had a version of righteousness, right? Right? They had a version of righteousness, and it was a pitiless righteousness. <laughs> it was a righteousness that snubbed their noses at anyone else who was below them. That's why later in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, he says, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Right? That's why in chapter 6 of Matthew, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. So there's a version of righteousness that feels comfortable because it's comfortable just ignoring other people. But that's not the righteousness that God is calling true disciples to. 
Now, that's a very convicting message for me. And that's very, it leaves me in a helpless spot asking, Lord, how am I supposed to experience this? <laughs> how am I to exercise more mercy? How am I to exercise more purity in my relationships? How am I to really effectively build bridges of peace between people? When it comes down to it, the reality is that these last this second half of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, uh, the peacemakers, and those persecuted, these last four are contingent upon the first four. If you were here last week, we talked about the blessing of having nothing, realizing that, look, you're coming to God and you're saying, look, I, I don't have what it takes, so I'm leaning completely on you. And so when we do, the last four will be the outflow of that. And the reality is, it's, it's something that Jesus says, freely you have received, therefore freely give. Do you remember that? In other words, it is impossible for me to give what I have not already received. So if I want to give mercy, what does that mean? I've got to have received mercy in my relationships. If I want to give purity, to, to relate with others out of purity, I, I must have already experienced being related to in a pure way. If I want to build bridges of peace, then I, I have to have had a peacemaker in my life. But here's the thing. Some of us, well, some of us, we think of that, wait, wait, I, I, all my relationships in life have been anything but merciful. <laughs> all my relationships in life have been anything but pure, anything but peaceful. So what do I do then? Here's the reality. Jesus Christ is merciful to you. Jesus Christ lived a spotless life for you. Jesus Christ paid the blood on Calvary to build peace for you and I. And all this at the cost of being persecuted to death. Look, maybe, maybe we haven't received mercy, purity, peace in relationships that are horizontal. But this morning, we can look to Jesus <laughs> and we can realize he's already satisfied all that. He is the merciful high priest. He is the one who was without sin that became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. He is the one who reconciled all things under heaven and earth having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so we may not have it around us. We may not be able to receive it from those around us. But because we've received it from Christ, we can give it to those around us. You know, maybe this morning there's someone here who is just feeling like they are down and out and they are the ones in need of deep mercy. Friend, I just want to extend the promise to you that Jesus is your merciful high priest. <laughs> Maybe someone feels completely, um, completely thrown aside this way and that way but by the impurity of the world. But I want to tell you that Jesus wants to restore that purity in you. Maybe someone feels completely alienated, far from God, far from other people, totally isolated, an island to him or herself, but this morning, Jesus says, look, I have brought you near by the blood of the Lamb. And so this morning, I just want to look to Jesus. Is that okay? <laughs> I just want to look to Jesus today and realize that, look, 
because of him, we can have righteousness in our relationships. We're going to pray right now. And I want you to think about the relationships that you have in your life, the quality of those relationships. And maybe they're not experiencing the blessing of righteousness. And I'm just going to have a time of silence as I pray. I'll lead into a time of silence. And I want to give you the opportunity to pray for those relationships that, in which it's hard to show mercy. I want to give you opportunity to, to pray for those relationships in which you know you haven't been acting from pure motives. I want to give you the opportunity to pray for those relationships in which you realize you have a calling to be a peacemaker, but you've been ignoring that calling. And so we're just going to pray together. And, and when it comes down to it, you can pray for those relationships that God is laying on your heart. So let's bow our heads. Father, you know our need. Right now, I just want to thank you so much for Jesus, who has paid it all. You are the sufficiency in all things. You are our everything. Thank you for being our merciful high priest. Thank you for being the sinless one. Thank you for having made peace of the blood of your cross today, all at the cost of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And Lord, this, this concept of righteousness in our relationships, Lord, this is what we want to experience. I mean, the right, relationships is the stuff of life, God. And the reality is that some of our relationships are not as they should be. And so we want to pray for whether it's family members or friends, those within our sphere of influence. God, please press up, impress upon our heart names of individuals. So just in the time of silence right now, go ahead and, and lift it to God. These relationships, these connections, whether they be family or friends. Go ahead and lift up your heart to God in silent prayer. Father in heaven, we long to be merciful, but we know we don't have what it takes. So please give us the mercy of Jesus that we can extend it to others. Lord, we know, we know that our hearts are not pure. But in Christ, we thank you that we've become the righteousness of God. So cause us to relate with people in such a way that it demonstrates you, that it causes not just us to see God, but others to see God too. <laughs> and Lord, we know we've been called to build bridges. We've been called to be peacemakers. Some of us may not even experience peace in our own lives, that, that wholeness between us and you. And so right now we pray that you would repair that connection, that you would repair that abiding relationship with you, so that we can be sent out as peacemakers after the image of Christ. Thank you, Father, that in this sanctuary, in this congregation, you are sending out men and women, boys and girls, to live in relationships that are completely different than the way the world runs relationships. <laughs> and so, Lord, as we live and as we love, 
please use us. Use us to lift up the image of God, to restore your purposes, to restore your kingdom, wherever we may be, whether home, at work, or play. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen.